Section 48 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathy Barrett. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 34. Henry III and the Religious Wars, 1574-1589, to Part 3. On the 18th of July following, Henry III, on his way to the Palace of Justice, to be present at the publication of the edict he had just issued in virtue of this treaty with the League, said to the Cardinal of Bourbon, quote, My dear uncle, against my conscience, but very willingly, I published the edicts of pacification, because they were successful in giving relief to my people and now i am going to publish the revocation of those edicts in accordance with my conscience but very unwillingly because on its publication hangs the ruin of my kingdom and of my people when he issued from the palace cries of long live the king were heard quote, at which astonishment was expressed says peter de l'estoile page two ninety four because for a long time past no such favour had been shown him but it was discovered that these acclamations were the doing of persons posted about by the leaguers and that for doing it money had been given to idlers and sweetmeats to children some days afterwards the king of navarre received news of the treaty of nemours he was staying near bergerac at the castle of the lord of la force with whom he was so intimate that he took with him none of his household as he preferred to be waited upon by m de la force's own staff Quote, I was so grievously affected by it, said he himself at a later period to M. de la Force, that as I pondered deeply upon it, and held my head supported upon my hand, my apprehensions of the woes I foresaw for my country were such as to whiten one half of my moustache. Henry III, for his part, was but little touched by the shouts of Long Live the King that he heard as he left the palace. He was too much disquieted to be rejoiced at them. He did not return the greeting of the municipal functionaries or of the mob that blocked his way. Quote, you see how reluctant he is to embroil himself with the Huguenots, said the partisans of the Guises to the people. It was the recommencement of the religious civil war, with more deadliness than ever. The King of Navarre left no stone unturned to convince everybody, friends and enemies, great lords and commonality, Frenchmen and foreigners, that this recurrence of war was not his doing, and that the leaguers forced it upon him against his wish, and despite of the justice of his cause. He wrote to Henry III, quote, Monseigneur, as soon as the originators of these fresh disturbances had let the effects appear of their ill-will towards your majesty and your kingdom, you were pleased to write to me the opinion you had formed, with very good title, of their intentions. You told me that you knew, no matter what pretext they assumed, that they had designs against your person and your crown, and that they desired their own augmentation and aggrandizement at your expense and to your detriment such were the words of your letters monseigneur and you did me the honour whilst recognising the connection between my fortunes and those of your majesty to add expressly that they were compassing my ruin together with your own and now monseigneur when i hear it suddenly reported that your majesty has made a treaty of peace with those who have risen up against your service providing that your edict be broken your loyal subjects banished and the conspirators armed and armed with your power and your authority against me who have the honour of belonging to you i leave your majesty to judge in what a labyrinth i find myself 
if it is i whom they seek or if under my shadow on my account they trouble this realm i have begged that without henceforth causing the orders and estates of this realm to suffer for it and without the intervention of any army home or foreign this quarrel be decided in the duke of guise's person and my own one to one two to two ten to ten twenty to twenty in any number that the said lord of guise shall think proper with the arms customary amongst gentlemen of honour it will be a happiness for us my cousin henry de conde and myself to deliver at the price of our blood the king our sovereign lord from the travails and trials that are a-brewing for him his kingdom from trouble and confusion his noblesse from ruin and all his people from extreme misery and calamity the duke of guise respectfully declined at the same time that he thanked the king of navarre for the honour done him saying that he could not accept the offer as he was maintaining the cause of religion and not a private quarrel on his refusal war appeared to everybody and in fact became inevitable at his re-engagement in it the king of navarre lost no time about informing his friends at home and his allies abroad the noblesse the clergy and the third estate of france the city of paris the queen of england the protestant princes of germany and the swiss cantons of all he had done to avoid it he evidently laid great store upon making his conduct public and his motives understood he had for his close confidant and his mouthpiece philip du plessis mornay at that time thirty-six years of age one of the most learned and most hard-working as well as most zealous and most sterling amongst the royalist protestants of france it was his duty to draw up the documents manifestos and letters published by the king of navarre when henry did not himself stamp upon them the seal of his own language vivid eloquent and captivating in its brevity henry the third and the queen mother were very much struck with this intelligent energy on the part of the king of navarre and with the influence he acquired over all that portion of the french noblesse and burgesses which had not fanatically enlisted beneath the banner of the league catherine accustomed to count upon her skill in the art of seductive conversation was for putting it to fresh proof in the case of the king of navarre louis de gonzaga duke of nevers an italian like herself and one of her confidants was sent in advance to sound henry of navarre he wrote to henry the third such sir as you have known this prince such is he even now nor years nor difficulties change him he is still agreeable still merry still devoted as he has sworn to me a hundred times to peace and your majesty's service catherine proposed to him an interview henry hesitated to comply from jarnac where he was he sent viscount de turenne to catherine to make an agreement with her for a few days truce Quote, catherine gave turenne to understand that in order to have peace the king of navarre must turn catholic and put a stop to the exercise of the reformed religion in the towns he held when this was reported by his envoy henry who had set out for the interview was on the point of retracing his steps he went on however as he was curious to see catherine to satisfy his mind upon the point and to answer her they met on the fourteenth of december fifteen eighty six at the castle of st brice near cognac both of them with gloomy looks catherine asked henry whether turenne had spoken to him about what she said was her son's most expressed desire quote, i am astounded said henry that your majesty should have taken so much pains to tell me what my ears are split with hearing and likewise that you whose judgment is so sound should delude yourself with the idea of solving the difficulty by means of the difficulty itself you propose to me a thing that i cannot do without forfeiture of conscience and honour and without injury to the king's service 
I should not carry with me all those of the religion, and they of the league would be so much the more irritated in that they would lose their hope of depriving me of the right which I have to the throne. They do not want me with you, madame, for they would then be in sorry plight, you better served, and all your good subjects more happy. The Queen Mother did not dispute the point. She dwelt, quote, upon the inconveniences Henry suffered during the war, end quote. Quote, I bear them patiently, madame, said Henry, since you burden me with them in order to unburden yourself of them, end quote. She reproached him with not doing as he pleased in Rochelle. Quote, pardon me, madame, said he, I please only as I ought, end quote. The Duke of Nevers, who was present at the interview, was bold enough to tell him that he could not impose a tax upon Rochelle. Quote, that is true, said Henry, and so we have no Italian amongst us. End quote. He took leave of the Queen Mother, who repeated what she had said to Viscount de Turenne, quote, charging him to make it known to the noblesse who were of his following. End quote. Quote, it is just eighteen months, madame, said he, since I ceased to obey the king. He has made war upon me like a wolf, you like a lioness. End quote. Quote, the king and I seek nothing but your welfare. End quote. Quote, Excuse me, madame, I think it would be the contrary. End quote. Quote, My son, would you have the pains I have taken for the last six months remain without fruit? End quote. Quote, madame, it is not I who prevent you from resting in your bed. It is you who prevent me from lying down in mine. End quote. Quote, Shall I be always at pains, I who ask for nothing but rest? End quote. Quote, Madame, the pains please you and agree with you. If you were at rest, you could not live long. End quote. Catherine had brought with her what was called her flying squadron of fair creatures of her court. But, quote, Madame, said Henry, as he withdrew, there is nothing here for me. End quote. Before taking part in the war which was day by day becoming more and more clearly and explicitly a war of religion, the Protestant princes of Germany and the four great free cities of Strasbourg, Ulm, Nuremberg, and Frankfurt resolved to make, as the King of Navarre had made, a striking move on behalf of peace and religious liberty. They sent to Henry III ambassadors who on the 11th of October, 1586, treated him to some frank and bold speaking. Quote, our princes and masters, they said to him, have been moved with surprise and Christian compassion towards you as faithful friends and good neighbors of yours, on hearing that you, not being pleased to suffer in your kingdom any person not of the Roman religion, have broken the edict of peace which was so solemnly done, and based upon your majesty's faith and promise, and which is the firm prop of the tranquillity of your majesty and your dominions the which changes have appeared to them strange seeing that your royal person your dominions your conscience your honour your reputation and good fame happened to be very much concerned therewith shocked at so rude an admonition henry the third answered quote, it is god who made me king and as i bear the title of most christian king i have ever been very zealous for the preservation of the catholic religion it appertains to me alone to decide according to my discernment what may contribute to the public weal to make laws for to procure it to interpret those laws to change them and to abolish them just as i find it expedient i have done so hitherto and i shall still do so for the future and he dismissed the ambassadors that very evening, on reflecting upon his words and considering that his answer had not met the requirements of the case, he wrote with his own hand on a small piece of paper, quote, 
that whoever said that in revoking the edict of pacification he had violated his faith or put a blot upon his honor had lied and he ordered one of his officers though the night was far advanced to carry that paper to the ambassadors and read it to them textually they asked for a copy but henry the third always careful not to have to answer for his words had bidden his officer to suppress the document after having read it and the germans departed determined upon war as well as quite convinced of the king's arrogant pusillanimity except some local and short-lived truces war was already blazing throughout nearly the whole of france in provence in dauphigny in nivernais in guienne in anjou in normandy in picardy in champagne we do not care to follow the two parties through the manifold but monotonous incidents of their tumultuous and passionate strife we desire to review only those events that were of a general and a decisive character they occurred naturally in those places which were the arena and in those armies which were under the command of the two leaders duke henry of guise and king henry of navarre the former took upon himself the duty of repulsing in the northwest of france the german and swiss corps which were coming to the assistance of the french reformers the latter put himself at the head of the french protestant forces summoned to face in the provinces of the centre and southwest the royalist armies guise was successful in his campaign against the foreigners on the twenty sixth of october fifteen eighty seven his scouts came and told him that the germans were at vimory near montargis dispersed throughout the country without vedettes or any of the precautions of warfare he was at table with his principal officers at courtenay almost seven leagues away from the enemy he remained buried in thought for a few minutes and then suddenly gave the order to sound boot and saddle or bootsel that is put on saddle quote, what for pray said his brother the duke of mayenne quote, to go and fight end quote. Quote, pray reflect upon what you are going to do end quote. Quote, reflections that i haven't made in a quarter of an hour i shouldn't make in a year end quote mounting at once the leader and his squadrons arrived at midnight at the gates of vimory they found it is said the germans drunk asleep and scattered according to the reporters on the side of the league the victory of guise was complete he took from the germans twenty-eight hundred horses the protestants said that the body he charged were nothing but a lot of horse-boys and that the two flags he took had for device nothing but a sponge and a currycomb but fifteen days later on the eleventh of november at Honneau, near chartres guise gained an indisputable and undisputed victory over the germans their general baron dona and some of his officers only saved themselves by cutting their way through sword in hand the swiss being discouraged and seeing in the army of henry the eighth eight thousand of their countrymen who were serving in it not like themselves as adventurers but under the flags and with the authorization of their cantons separated from the germans and withdrew after receiving from henry the third four hundred thousand crowns as the price of their withdrawal in burgundy in champagne and in orleanes the campaign terminated to the honour of guise which henry the third was far from regarding as a victory for himself but almost at the same time at which the league obtained this success in the provinces of the east and centre it experienced in those of the southwest a reverse more serious for the leaguers than the duke of guise's victory had been fortunate for them 
Henry III had given the command of his army south of the Loire to one of his favorites, Anne, Duke of Joyeuse, a brilliant, brave, and agreeable young man, whose fortunes he advanced beyond measure, to the extent of marrying him to Marguerite de Lorraine, the queen's sister, and raising for him the viscountship of Joyeuse to a duchy peerage, giving him rank, too, after the princes of the blood and before the dukes of old creation joyeuse was at the head of six thousand foot two thousand horse and six pieces of cannon he entered poitou and marched towards the dordogne whilst the king of navarre was at la rochelle engaged in putting into order two pieces of cannon which formed the whole of his artillery and in assembling round him his three cousins the prince of conde the count of soissons and the prince of conti that he might head the whole house of bourbon at the moment when he was engaging seriously in the struggle with the house of valois and the house of lorraine a small town coutras situated at the confluence of the two rivers of lille and la Dronne, in the gironde offered the two parties an important position to occupy Quote, according to his wont says the duke of aumale in his histoire des princes de conde the bernese was on horseback while his adversary was banqueting he outstripped joyeuse and when the latter drew near to contras he found the town occupied by the protestant advance guard and had barely time to fall back upon la roche chalet the battle began on the twentieth of october fifteen eighty seven shortly after sunrise we will here borrow the equally dramatic and accurate account of it given by the duke of aumale Quote, at this solemn moment the king of navarre calls to his side his cousins and his principal officers then in his manly and sonorous voice he addresses his men-at-arms my friends here is a quarry for you very different from your past prizes it is a brand-new bridegroom with his marriage-money still in his coffers and all the cream of the courtiers are with him will you let yourselves go down before this handsome dancing-master and his minions no they are ours i see it by your eagerness to fight still we must all of us understand that the event is in the hands of god pray we him to aid us this deed will be the greatest that we ever did the glory will be to god the service to our sovereign lord the king the honour to ourselves and the benefit to the state henry uncovers the clergyman chandieu and damour intone the army's prayer and the men-at-arms repeat in chorus the twenty-fourth versicle of the hundred and eighteenth psalm this is the day which the lord hath made we will rejoice and be glad in it as they were hastening each to his post the king detains his cousins a moment gentlemen he shouts i have just one thing to say remember that you are of the house of bourbon and as god liveth i will let you see that i am your senior and we will show you some good juniors answered conde before midday the battle was won and the royalist army routed but not without having made a valiant stand during the action depigny saint luc one of the bravest royalist soldiers met the duke of joyeuse already wounded quote, what's to be done he asked quote, die answered joyeuse and a few moments afterwards as he was moving away some paces to the rear in order to get near to his artillery says d'aubigne he was surrounded by several huguenots who recognized him quote, there are a hundred thousand crowns to be gained he shouted but rage was more powerful than cupidity and one of them shattered his skull with a pistol-shot his body was taken to the king's quarters there it lay in the evening upon a table in the very room where the conqueror's supper had been prepared 
but the king of navarre ordered all who were in the chamber to go out had his supper-things removed elsewhither and with every mark of respect committed the remains of the vanquished to the care of viscount de turenne his near relative henry showed a simple and modest joy at his splendid triumph it was five-and-twenty years since the civil war commenced and he was the first protestant general who had won a pitched battle he had to regret only twenty-five killed whereas the enemy had lost more than three thousand and had abandoned to him their cannon together with twenty-nine flags or standards the victory was so much the more glorious in that it was gained over an army superior in numbers and almost equal in quality it was owing to the king's valour decision vigilance quick eye comprehension of tactics and that creative instinct which he brought into application in politics as well as in war and which was destined to render him so happily inspired in the beautiful defensive actions of arc at the affair of ivry and on so many other occasions End quote. End of section forty eight